A car is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I've got Megan Gailey with me. Hi, Megan. Hello. Other person with me today, (laughs) Kieran Deal. Hi. We've got a big show this week. First, Kieran Deal and Megan Gailey join me in discussing the right wing's attempt to politicize the death of Molly Tibbetts. Next, I check in with my pal Alyssa Mastermonico to talk about the Kavanaugh nomination and the female senators who could stop it. Then... Director, actor, and writer Zoe Lister-Jones joins the L.A. crew to talk Serena's cat suit and Louis C.K.'s return to comedy. And as always, stick around to find out what hills will die on this week. A little housekeeping because we've got a pretty heavy show today. But I wanted to kind of get into a couple things. First of all, um, thank you for all your emails. Hysteria at crooked.com is how to get in touch with us. Um, but one thing I've noticed in a couple of the emails we've gotten, and I don't know if I've shared with with you two, but uh, I've gotten a few emails from women who have been inspired to break up with yes. people mm. because of mm. hysteria. Mm. Um, and so, and they, they, they seem very confident about it. So I'm going to go ahead and say congrats because it sounds congrats. like they're... The, the few readers or listeners, readers, l- listeners who have who've gotten in touch with me and said, like, you inspired me to dump this guy I've been going out with. I'm like, well, good for you, but also don't do anything rash. Yeah. <laughs> Listening there, is just reading for your ears. Well, well there was fair. one that was like, we broke up. We were like on a vacation and yeah. he was listening. And I'm like, oh, vacations make people break up, too. You yeah. know, like, I'm. thank you so much for giving us the credit, but he may just be annoying. Yeah. Vacations really do kind of bring things into sharp. Oh, yeah. Yeah, going away for a weekend with somebody is a good test, I think, whether or not it's going to work. Oh, also, I have an anecdote, guys, before we um, get into the news. Yesterday, I did a mansplain. Oh! I did a mansplain. You splained? You were the man who splained? I was the man who Mm. splained. So I was at work, and uh, there's another person who's working on this project with us who's this kind of writer-producer named Craig. And the topic turned to Ted Cruz, as Mm -hmm. it does. And uh, Craig was talking about how, you know, just how much he didn't like Ted Cruz. And I was like, you know who I love? I love Ted Cruz's old roommate who hates him. And Craig goes, that's me. (gasps) (laughs) What? And I was like, wait, you're the guy who's, what? Yeah, he was Ted Cruz's old roommate is now my my coworker. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's like a writer producer. He's written a bunch of stuff. He's like working on a new HBO thing. So is he he has been doing it anonymously? No, he's out there. He's out there. He's been on Love It or Leave It before. I just am stupid. He is doing it anonymymously. I didn't know if it was a deep throat. I was definitely like when you're like Ted Cruz's ex roommate who hates him, it's like when somebody's like, Oh, it's my family member's second cousin's sister. I'm like, hold on, wait, I gotta take <laughs> No, but he's two like seconds. a he's a guy. Like yeah. Ted and he's he's been like public about Ted Cruz being a gross guy in college. And so yesterday we got a few like anecdotes about how gross Ted Cruz was. The, my favorite was that he left kind of a film of oil on everything Ew. he touched. Like a slug <laughs> <laughs> like or a snail. <laughs> oh, 
I'm like I'm picturing that trail of Ted. He's like the <laughs> he's the opposite of King Midas. Yeah, everything he touches turns to slime. He's King Minus. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> See, we're cooking with gas. We're doing it this morning. <laughs> I love the way I'm still like, how is it a mansplain? <laughs> well, because I, I told somebody, let me mansplain mansplain. Yeah, mansplain this to me, please. Um, it, it, mansplaining. Hold on, hold on. Whip your dick out. <laughs> okay, so here it is. Here's my my, uh, my dick. Um, mansplaining initially was written about by Rebecca Solnit in an essay called Men Explain Things to Me. And in that essay, she talked about being at a party where a man was explaining one of the things that she'd written to her. And Solnit was like, no, I wrote it. And the guy was like, no, no, no. And he like kept <laughs> oh, going. Oh, no, I wrote it. Yeah. I got it. I yeah, got yeah. it. Okay. And he okay. kept going. It. And I was like, you know who would be great for you to listen to, Craig? You. This, this oh, guy. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I got So that's you. how I did a mansplain. Copy, but copy that. I, I learned my lesson, which is not, there, there's only one guy named Craig, and all of them are Ted Cruz's roommate. That's what I learned my lesson. Um, but we need to make a quick pivot into news, which is a little bit uh, of a difficult, dark, uh, heavy topic. But it's something that has kind of been on my mind in the news lately. Um, Molly Tibbetts, woman in Iowa, who is a sophomore at the University of Iowa, she was uh, last seen alive on July 18th. She was jogging in uh, near her rural home, hometown of Brooklyn, Iowa, about 70 miles northeast of Des Moines, um, and her uh, body was found recently. Uh, and it turns out that the man who abducted and murdered her was a 24-year-old man who was not from the U.S. He's an immigrant, and uh, after uh, and he's been charged with first-degree murder. So, which is horrible in and of itself. Anytime somebody is killed, it's awful. Um, but the awfulness kind of compounded with the way that uh, the right wing has kind of seized on Molly Tibbetts' death and tried to make it about brown men mm -hmm. instead of about uh, the fact that murder is awful and it's a tragedy no matter who it happens to and no matter who does it. Um, so President Trump has latched on to her murder as an excuse to campaign for tougher immigration laws. Um, but her family, particularly her dad, has pushed back on the rhetoric. Um, in his eulogy, he um, he said the Hispanic community are Iowans. They have the same values as Iowans. As far as I'm concerned, they're Iowans with better food. Um, and Molly's cousin, Sandy Tibbetts Murphy, wrote, uh, especially for those of you who did not know her in life, you do not get to usurp Molly and her legacy for your racist false narrative now that she is no longer with us. We hereby reclaim our Molly. You do not get to use her murder to inaccurately promote your permanently separated hyperbole. You do not have permission to callously use this tragedy to demonize an entire population for the acts of one man. Karen, what do you make of the way that this whole story has unfolded and the family's response to Molly's death? I thought that the family's response was um, was admirable. Like, I think if you're in the throes of despair um as you would be after the tragedy of losing somebody very close to you it's incredibly hopeful to me that that a family and people close to that victim are able to uh, transcend kind of their fear and their anger and and in the circumstances and still be able to have the strength to kind of like operate with an incredible amount of honestly like just integrity in that moment do you know what i mean mm -hmm. like i thought that was i thought that was the the really like kind of beautiful takeaway. Like mm -hmm. I always have this phrase where I was like, oh, you know, like when shitty things happen, you're supposed to try to like Gandhi that shit. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like try to like do like what Gandhi does and then I'm like screaming on the 405 normally. <laughs> um, I'm like, rah, rah, you know, but they, I mean, I think that they really were able to do that in this case. And that's like, in terms of the, like a way to 
a a way to proceed forward in a in a world that's like very very loud. Mm-hmm. I think that they had a a very um, impressive kind of moral center. Yeah, and Megan, you're from the Midwest, mm-hmm. like me. Um, one thing that I thought that I read into the kind of administration's attempt at politicizing this was that I think that people on the right view people in the Midwest as this reliable monolith of people who will just mm. fall in line and agree with them. And I kind of love that Molly Tibbetts' family is like a lot of Midwestern families where they, they're clear-headed, thoughtful people who don't want to be used as pawns. Yeah. Did you see that at play? Well, I think absolutely. I mean, there was a story, sadly, very similar to this. There was an Indianapolis Colts player who was killed in a drunk driving accident, and the driver of the... the the guy who was drunk who killed him was an undocumented immigrant and his wife kind of spearheaded and went out and was like you will not use this Mm -hmm. this is you are not going to talk about my husband in this way and and that's also in Indianapolis and and this was a man of color killed by another man of color Mm -hmm. and in this case it's a woman killed by a man of color and it, it it's kind of hard it gives me flashbacks of sort of when mass shootings happen and those families come out and say, no, we we need to use their death in this tragedy to talk about gun control. Mm-hmm. And Republicans are like, no, 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 no. We don't want to politicize it. And they're like, no, but we are the family members and we're saying you can politicize it. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they're like, no, please mm-hmm. get away from mm-hmm. us. Like they can't ever they're not good at judging what grieving families like need from them. Right. And God, yeah, I, I wanted to kind of pivot real quick to the fact that. You know, people were saying this isn't really an issue of like this isn't an immigration issue whatsoever. This is a an issue of toxic masculinity yeah. and and men feeling entitled to women's bodies. You know, there are hundreds of women who have been killed in Ciudad Juarez that the administration has not at all said anything about. You mm-hmm. know, there there are people, women of color, who disappear all the time, and every single time a woman is the victim of violence, that is a tragedy, and it's just. Do you think that Republicans are kind of trying to pull a fast one where or not Republicans, conservatives, people who use these things politically to to uh, support anti-immigrant views? Do you think they're just trying to to use this to establish that violence against women is only bad if brown people do it? Well, I mean, it just fits your narrative agenda. Right. I mean, in this instance, it's like, oh, this is this is convenient. There's I think there were like two examples. There's one from 2015 as well that had happened. I'm sure there might be more, but I know there was one from 2015. And so people really latched onto that because it already fits the narrative that exists. But yes, of course, I did think your point was like really interesting because I was looking at it purely from like, of course, somebody's going to politicize like this one thing. It just reminds me of like, like as a like I'm a I'm a brown lady and I remember when terrorism started happening mm-hmm. like um 9/11 or you know and post 9/11 there was definitely a thing and I'm sure a lot of brown people can relate to this where it's like you're watching the news and like some act of terror will happen you're like oh no oh please no be please white. please be yeah, white please don't let it be a brown please don't let it be a brown person like that sigh of relief which is so fucked up mm-hmm. that's such a fucked up thing yeah um I'm a white person and I'm rooting it for it to be a white person like I'm you know, like yeah that's just is it's they don't get to take it it's it's and a few it's a few and not because the tragedy is any less worse but because you know that just in terms of a narrative it's so much easier to vilify right like well you and, know the tragedy isn't going to make other people's lives worse 
that are totally unrelated to it. You know what I mean? Right. Like if if uh, if something tragic happens and the perpetrator is a person of color, then other people of color who have literally nothing to do with it at all are going to be treated differently by people who respond to the politicization of those events. Right. Whereas yeah. if it's a white guy that does it, like, you know, there was a shooting in Jacksonville at an esports event this past weekend, right. and it was a it was a white kid. And yeah. I know that there are no white white men are not leaving the house feeling a pit in their stomach this week because they're worried that they're going to be treated poorly because they're white men after that shooting. No, because that's an isolated, mentally ill person who, you know, that's it's always like mental illness. And it's like in a lot of cases it is mental illness, but it's also the entitlement that this person felt to go and kill people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's the same in in both cases. When I see a man running at night, I'm like, well, that would be nice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cooler outside. <laughs> it's like darker. It like seems like, oh, it looks beautiful. And yeah. it's like that's just not even an option to us. And I'm I'm sure I don't think conservatives have come out and said this, but this happens in in rape cases and in in cases like this where a woman is sort of like out alone somewhere. It's like, well, you know, she shouldn't have been doing that. Oh, God. And another thing that I've been thinking about in the Molly Tibbetts case and her family's response has been, like you said, Kieran, just like really strong and, and uh, clear eyed, especially in light of how much grief they must be experiencing. Yeah. But I was thinking a lot about what is called um, missing white woman syndrome. It is the disproportionate amount of media coverage yeah. that white women who disappear are victims of violence get. And again, like I was saying, it's it's not any more or less tragic if a white woman is is a victim of violence than a black woman, but the media pays like a disproportionate amount of attention. So I was looking into this, seeing it all spelled out was like, oh my god. Um, they have a chart in this in this entry where they compare disappearances of people of color to a sort of analog white woman's disappearance. Like here's an example. On March 23rd, 2003, Shoshana Johnson, a 30-year-old United States Army specialist who is of Afro-Panamanian descent, uh, was injured and taken prisoner in the same battle that Jessica Lynch was taken prisoner. Mm -hmm. And we all know Jessica Lynch's name, but we don't know Shoshana Johnson's name. So that's just wow. an that's just an example of like the way that you know, women go missing all the time yeah. who are not pretty white girls and we don't pay attention to yeah. it. And then I just wanted to add, you know, I, I talked to you before about how I talked to this really fantastic uh, like harassment expert and um, psychologist named Nancy Baker. And she had a study that she used to do where she would when she was giving talks. Um, and I just remember this just struck me as related to this topic. But she had uh, like where she was with men and women in a group. Then she'd be like, um, if in the last week uh, you've thought about your safety when you're going to uh, walk home at night, when you're going to, you know, when you're going to your car in a parking lot or when you're walking, if at any point in the last week you've thought about your safety, raise your hand. And she says, and it's like again and again and again, every single woman, it's like in the room raises their hand and the dudes don't. She goes, and it's kind of a watershed moment in that room for people. Mm -hmm. And then she goes, it was a pretty consistent thing where like, the women who don't react that way, they usually, and it's like, or they don't raise their hand, it'll be like, oh, you haven't thought about your safety in the last, like, you know, whatever the time frame was. And they're like, no, I'm a police officer. I have a gun. Oh. Or I, I have a black belt. People don't fuck with me. So it's like, even in a way, it's like, you know, these women are still attuned to this sense that of, of a defensiveness or a defensive nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that was, I thought that was really... <laughs> 
poignant, honestly, yeah. and telling. Yeah. I thought you were gonna be like, no, I'm a guy's gal. <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay. Guys. Yeah. I actually don't get along with girls very well, so they I'm don't not like worried. me because I'm too pretty. Yeah, so it's I really feel safe. hard. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back, personal political. Joining me now is our pal, Alyssa Mastromonaco, live from the Catskills. Hi, Alyssa. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> uh, well, Alyssa and I, unfortunately, are separated by an entire continent since I've moved to Los Angeles and she's still on the East Coast. But we miss her so much around here and we miss her input on especially issues of reproductive rights that we are starting a new segment this week calling Uterus Weekly. It's just like Us Weekly, but with uter in the front. <laughs> <laughs> and we're bringing in Alyssa to talk to us about like how things are going on the ground, what the fight looks like to preserve reproductive rights for women, because it is the most important conversation that we can be having right now. It's not the most fun, but I think it's it's the most important. Um, Alyssa, how's everything going over there? You know, I was in New York this weekend and I did the day of action. Um, and in New York, it was at City Hall. And, you know, it was 100 degrees out. Lots of people showed up. People are activated. But, you know, the problem is I was glad to do the event in New York, but, you know, we all know that this vote that they will have on Brett Kavanaugh, if it if they do get a vote, you know, before the election, is probably going to come down to two senators. If all of the if all of the Democrats hang together, it'll come down to Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. And so even though I wanted to get everyone out in New York and rally, um, my speech was a letter to Lisa and Susan. And, you know, the funny thing is, when you think about it, because, you know, I think in this fight, the most important thing is like to find common ground. You know, I know a lot of like, very progressive people want to do or die. But I'm like, with this, I really think that we need to find some common ground, because we can't sort of shame Lisa and Susan, like we can't threaten them into voting, they have to understand why they hold the fate of 93 million women of childbearing ages fate in their hands. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. I when I I read your letter and we'll we'll go over parts of it because it's it's long but it's totally worth reading the whole thing. One of the things that you say in this letter is like not that I'm going to shame you but I'm begging you, Lisa and Susan. I'm begging you. And and the thing that that really gets to me is the fact that we don't really have anything that we can threaten them with. You know, we're not no. in power in any way. So I guess we can just appeal to decency and hope that that works. How How is the response to your letter to Lisa and Susan, which you use their first names, which I liked? Yes. Well, I feel like we're all in the fight together, you know. So the reason I wanted to call them Susan and Lisa, and I did, you know, ask their permission sort of in the beginning, um, was because they also don't know what a world before Roe v. Wade is. You know, Susan Collins was 21 and Lisa Murkowski was 16 uh, in 1973 when, you know, Roe became law of the land and, you know, made abortion a constitutionally guaranteed right. So they they don't they didn't live it in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s when, you know, your option was a hanger or throwing yourself down a flight of stairs, um, you know, for them. And, you know, and I, I didn't mean to be flippant when I made the sort of analogy, but. 
a lot of us, the first time we ever really heard about abortion was in Dirty Dancing when Penny needed to get an abortion Mm -hmm. and Baby got the money from her dad and lied for it. And she ended up going to New Paltz, which coincidentally is like 20 miles from where I am right now, um, to get what was the equivalent Mm -hmm. of a back alley abortion. And, you know, not that long ago, I was talking to someone who went to Sarah Lawrence and there was a, a class they were doing. And someone mentioned Gloria Steinem, and a lot of the women in the class didn't really know who Gloria Steinem was. And so that's why I feel like in this new gen, like, you know, for me and everybody younger than me and people who don't know a world or even understand a world before Roe v. Wade or before people like Gloria Steinem had gotten us these rights, um, who, who had worked so hard to make this much progress, I just feel like for Susan and Lisa, they have to understand that even if their views were different than ours when they were growing up on abortion, they always had the choice, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they had the choice when they were in their early 20s. And even if they didn't exercise the choice, they had it. And you never know if you're going to exercise the choice until you're right. in that situation. And so I think that trying to just find that common ground of, like, you may not agree with it, but can you impose this will on, you know, 93 million women? Right. Here's another thing that's kind of getting to me. You know, you've seen I've seen some Susan Collin comments about Kavanaugh that are like, well, he says it's settled law. He says it's settled law. But the fact of the matter is there's there's no consequences whatsoever. Brett Kavanaugh could lie his face off right now. He could be he could be going home every night and writing in his diary about how excited he is to overturn Roe v. Wade (laughs) when he's a Supreme Court justice, you know, putting little stickers on there. And, you know, and and there's absolutely no consequences. And I think that it's for Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski. And I know that you are kind of approaching this from a position of like, please. Hey, girl, please. But my yeah, my position on this is like. Come on. Like, do you expect us to believe that you, an ostensibly intelligent woman who has had a long political career, honestly believes that a man selected by a president who has pledged to only appoint anti-abortion justices has chosen somebody who is suddenly pro-choice? And like, do you really no. expect like how so do you here's expect what I'm us hoping. to believe that? I have a bit of a theory. So I'm going to share it here for the first time. Ooh. So this is my theory. I believe Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski to be very smart. And they know that Trump pledged that he would overturn Roe. He would appoint uh, anti-choice justices. And his vice president said he wanted Roe, you know, des- like sent to the ash heap of history. Yeah, right? that's like his favorite it, phrase. That, it's Mike his Pence favorite says it all the time. Maybe he'll use it this weekend when they let him speak at John McCain's funeral. But um, he he they know this. And so I am hoping that Susan Collins is hedging and saying, well, I talked to him and this is what he said, because she just doesn't want to spend the next 45 or 60 days being attacked by the rabid minority of Mm -hmm. hardcore Trump voters. Mm -hmm. Right. Like maybe she's just being wishy-washy in the way that nobody really saw John McCain putting his thumb down on the ACA vote. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that, you know, they have always sort of stood on the right side of Planned Parenthood. And, you know, the thing I think that is so important for us to do is lift up some of this conversation, because right now, you know, I would say that the Brett Kavanaugh fight is maybe like the fifth story on the news, maybe. Mm-hmm. And his hearings start in less than a week. Mm-hmm. And how much? How many documents have uh, have senators been able to access regarding Kavanaugh? 
I, like I th- it's an it's a minuscule amount, isn't it? Like it's like thirty percent or something like that. It's like thirty percent, and the thing about it is because he worked in the White House. Um, it is customary, and this is the you know I know that I'm so wretched and a, you know public former public you know servant and all this, and I think things should be fair and historical and blah blah blah. And wretched, you are wretched, Elizabeth. I'm <laughs> wretched, but you know to me this is every president has abided by this precedent. You know you get yeah. the documents, you get a chance to read them. The National Archives produces them, and people are like, well, why can't they just make them all public now? And well, he worked in the White House. Some of that stuff is privileged. You know, it is the process that they go through. And, um, you know, sh- sure, they want him to expedite. But it's it's also not the same as, um, you know, I would say when when Scalia died. Right. Yeah. This is this. This was a choice. He chose to step down. Therefore, I think that, you know, that the administration and specifically the GOP senators need to, you know, I'm hoping maybe all of the bipartisan talk around Senator McCain's passing, you know, makes them see the light a little bit in a back to regular order way. I know that that's people are probably going to boo and hiss at me because it won't happen, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. I mean, hopeful. Hope is kind of all we have right now. Hope Hope is all we have. Hope and grit and optimism and weekends away at the Catskills so that we can recharge and (laughs) start the fight again as soon as we're back. Um, Alyssa, that is all the time we have for the first edition of Uterus Weekly, but I can't wait for the next time we talk because this is super, super important. And while it's, you know, again, it's not the, the most fun thing to talk about, we need to keep talking about it. So we do. I miss you, and I will talk to you next week, I think. Kisses. Bye. Right, bye. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. 
And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode of Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Need the perfect Mother's or Father's Day gift? Check out Viore Performance Apparel. Drawing inspo from the coastal California lifestyle, Viore's products inspire others to live vibrant, active lives. I love that they're calling this the coastal California lifestyle. I will embrace that instead of what I thought it was, which was the I only want to wear comfortable clothes lifestyle. Yeah. I have to. I refuse to be uncomfortable I refu- if I want to be productive. I refuse <laughs> to be uncomfortable, but sometimes I have to look like I belong in a respectable place lifestyle, which is like yeah. Viore is perfect for it because they the clothes look fantastic. They fit great. They are so comfortable. I lie down in mine all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, Erin, the women's performance joggers. They have a slim but relaxed fit and are designed with dream knit stretch fabric. I love my joggers. I've slept in mine. I've slept in them. Really? You don't get hot? No. They're very, like, on oh. a, it's like a couch nap. You know, you have like a, oh yeah. you've got like maybe a half an hour in the afternoon. You're like, ooh, I've got a like small break. I'm very tired. I'm going to just like lay down for 20 minutes. It's yeah. Perfect. Perfect for couch okay. napping. Joggers. I love the leggings. I can work out in them. I can do my errands in them. I can wear them with a proper top to a business meeting. It is not a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you probably could. Just put yeah, a, a totally. blazer and like... Denim shirt. Denim, denim shirt, oh, blazer, yeah. leggings. So easy. 100%. And, of course, the men's core shorts. They have a classic athletic fit, falling just above the knee, while the Sunday performance joggers are made from recycled performance stretch fabric. I got my dad some men's core shorts. He wears them to mow the lawn. That's perfect. He is, like, I think my my dad is one of those people that just, like, beats the crap out of his clothes. He'll wear them until they're... They look like a security blanket that a 30-year-old yep. still has where it's just like a ball of string and you're like, um, Our dads are the same. Yeah, yeah. But um, my dad has had his for like a couple years now and I think I, I saw him wearing them the other week when I met up with um, family on a, on a short weekend trip and they still looked great. It was like, Dad... Your clothes still look new. <laughs> so fancy. Viore is offering Hysteria listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Reynolds Wrap. Reynolds Wrap. Potato wedges. Wedges. Olive oil. Salt. Mwah. Well done, hon. Well done, chef. Right. With Reynolds Wrap, cooking becomes so easy, you can feel like the chef of your kitchen. Easy prep, easy cook, easy clean. Reynolds Wrap. And we're back, and I am delighted to welcome to Hysteria Zoe Lister-Jones. Zoe is a director, actor, and writer. Her directorial debut, Band-Aid, hired an entirely female crew, and it's on iTunes. How's that? How is working with all women, Zoe? How's uh, that going? It's amazing. I mean, it, it was amazing. Um, we shot it two years ago, and it was um, it exceeded all of my expectations, and my expectations were pretty high. Were the craft services better? 
<laughs> you're like snacking wise you're like all right we get we really know what kind of snacks we want um you know on indie films craft services are like across the board pretty terrible because yeah. yeah. nobody has any just money it's just sub- a kombucha um, to yeah, sub- yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> but um yeah it's a lot of like uh, six foot subs but um <laughs> but no i mean it was uh it was truly like there was a palpable shift in the energy that everyone who entered the set would immediately comment on just be like whoa this feels really really different Mm -hmm. um in a great way and yeah i I highly recommend it i mean obviously i was doing it um in order to also you know make a statement um which is that there are plenty of amazingly talented uh women to to be hired because that's oftentimes the excuse that's made why there's um, so little gender parity on sets, but yeah, that is that is pretty funny. I recently was having a conversation with a with a guy who's a kind of showrunner type, and he asked me because he has so many women in one of his rooms. He asked me if I had any recommendations for men who can write. And I was <laughs> yeah, like, that's mm-hmm. awesome. This is the future. That, this is the future that liberals want. The this- last the last show I worked on was all women. It was I mean the two showrunners were male, and we had a female comedian come in one day, and she goes. Did everyone get me too? Like, how is it? It's just you guys left. And we're like, we made it to the top, baby. That's awesome. That's the point. Is just knocking the men out, right? <laughs> mm. We all agree. We all agree. Nobody's going to hear this, right? We're not recording or anything. <laughs> um, Zoe, I am really excited to have you uh, be a part of this conversation. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, Serena Williams uh, has been told that she can't wear her cat suit in the French Open. I don't know if you guys saw her cat suit, Megan. You're oh, the- oh, I, I. I saw. I, you, and it's, I mean, I've been to the French Open. People are smoking cigarettes. Like, it's not, <laughs> this is not fucking church, okay? Like, you need to come off your high horse, Mr. Baguette Head. This, you don't need to be doing all of, like, people hey, are Hey, 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 no racial slurs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're in an era when it's, like, cool to hate the French again. Like, it's it just feels nice. It's, like, kind of. Oh, yeah. Muscle memory of disliking the French. We can bring it back. So Serena was told that she can't wear her cat suit, which this, this did have me asking the question, what is a cat suit? Oh, very oh, same, sad. Same. Very. I was definitely like, yeah. cat suit. You're going to get weird ads forever now. All of your Google ads are going to be like, do you want other cat suits? <laughs> they were like, Karen's picked her Halloween costume. <laughs> She's going to be a cat. So here's the, the quote from the French te- Tennis Federation president. Uh, Bernard, Gio- I'm not saying that. Bernard. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Put put some Bernard. put some French on it. Put a twist Bernard. on it. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Just gargle it. He he said that. So so uh, Serena's cat suit was helped uh, was designed to help prevent blood clots after a near death experience after giving birth. Uh, and declared it will no longer be accepted. One must respect the game and the place. Megan, you said that sh- people were smoking there. People were smoking <laughs> cigarettes. That's that's disrespectful. No, no, that's French. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's it's just, just French. Uh, They're acknowledging the place by smoking. Cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In case you don't know where you are, if you come to Cannes, you go to wear high heels. It's also clay. It's like dirt. There's like clay everywhere. I mean, it's the dirtiest of the of the majors. Also, yeah. it's red clay. It's France. Nadal so- wears capris. Yeah. That's what he's famous for: is wearing man capris, and she can't wear a blood clot cat suit i do i do like that the, i do like that it's like there isn't a strict it's not like wimbledon where it's all white right. it's like it's like we'll know when we see yeah. it <laughs> that is such a french dress code yeah hey, if it's wrong we tell you <laughs> zoe what do you think that he meant when he said one must respect the game and the place 
I mean, I think it's just like not even thinly veiled misogyny and racism. I think it's just that I don't I don't know what that means, like the game and the place, because like, as we all just said, like there's been so many other players who have worn things that are specific and nuanced and and speak to their individual style. So why Serena is specifically called out mm-hmm. about it feels um, pretty pointed. Did you see what she wore yesterday, though? The tutu. Yeah. yeah. So Rad. she, she came out at the U.S. Open wearing like a very puffy black tutu awesome. and like a black what was it like a leotard, like a bodysuit mm-hmm. with some like her like there was skin tone color fabric that made it kind of have an illusion of being a one shoulder top. It was Amazing. Majestic. And her jacket said queen. Her little warm-up jacket. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the irony is all of those clothes, all of those clothes are designed months in advance. Like, they, like the, n- right. none of those are, like, last minute. It's not like she woke up on any of the days and was like, let me figure out what I'm going to wear today. You know? Those are all, like, oh, yeah. hella and, designed and very, from a long like, time ago. And they're very, like, dependent on, like, who. The, she has a Nike deal. Yeah. It's just really, you know. I hate. I just wish tennis wasn't doing this because Serena. I don't know if, if you <laughs> guys. Just Megan is like literally like rubbing her entire face well, off I, of her face. I <laughs> I played very very intense junior tennis. I at one point was a card carrying member of the USGA. Wow. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice, but it's like <laughs> Serena is the best you have. She is better. She is a superstar. She transcends every sport. She is probably the greatest living athlete we have, a man or woman, and you're biting this hand that feeds you, mm-hmm. no one watches, no offense, no one is watching the men at all. No one is watching any of the, she drives the ratings, she drives people coming, she drives the fact that tennis is even a relevant sport. She's cool, her sister and her have been through things at Indian Wells. They said they would never play there because people were shouting racial slurs like at what point is it like enough is enough we fucking own this sport Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think there's a lot of people who agree that they own the sport and like the the french the french tennis guy's comments kind of speak to him being completely out of step with why people are watching tennis but i wanted to to pivot uh use a quote from tennis great billy jean king who tweeted the policing of women's bodies must end the respect that's needed for the exceptional talent serena williams brings to the game Criticizing what she wears to work is where the true disrespect lies. And I wanted to use this to pivot into different ways that women are told how to dress at work. I I sometimes think of like kind of a dress code outrage as like the little fun snackable outrage. It's a tiny little micro problem that we can conquer with a hashtag <laughs> that, that feels a little gauche in the era of Trump. But I think it speaks to a bigger issue of people telling women how to dress and how to look. Zoe, I wonder if you've ever encountered uh, being told how to dress or how to look in a way that you were like, this feels like you're not really asking me to be professional. This feels like something bigger. Mm -hmm. Well, I work in an industry that encourages women to to like sort of dress not provocatively but I think there's just like the rules are different. I've never had to work in an office Mm -hmm. um, so I've never had to like be under um, that strict or sort of regulatory like. I, when I worked in an office I shopped at Express a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had editor pants out the ass. Oh yeah you gotta get a blazer <laughs> that'll fall apart. Yeah I mean but but I think like I think that's a really good point Zoe because a, a lot of people work in different places where how you dress is policed differently like I remember a year ago there was something about a teacher who was like too sexy. Oh yes. Because she's around students and apparently students can't know that teachers are 
have are sexy or pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that teachers. Oh, they know. <laughs> oh, by the way, by the way, to all, to all of our teacher listeners, it's about back to school time. Uh, happy back to school, yeah. teachers. Yeah. But teachers are morally policed in a different way than actresses are morally policed mm-hmm. in a different way than uh, women who are in Congress are morally policed. I don't know, if, Karen. Do you remember when people were uh, freaking out about the congressional dress code? The sh- like you, the you're, yeah, the bare arms. You don't want to wear the. You don't want to show too much shoulder. Yeah, you, you don't want to have... show that. You want to show that provocative curve on your sternum i have my shoulder out right now are you guys do you guys feel uncomfortable as i stroke it (laughs) i'm really distracted i went to a school where the we were not allowed to um and this was public school we weren't allowed to show our shoulders and then like your hands had to your shorts couldn't be any shorter than your fingertips and and they would make a stand up and show which is like kind of dramatic and and people were like but the boys don't have any dress code and then they just in, they were like well you can't sag and we were like okay but now you're just being racist too like <laughs> you could have picked anything and that's what you picked why but i think the idea of like it being for like to protect men's impulse like sexual impulses is so is like the most fucked up of it all which is like kind of where it's all rooted right is like can't distract the men because if they see a shoulder their erections won't allow them to like pass policy or whatever. It's like that. All the blood uh, rushes from the brain <laughs> to the dick. And then um, how are you going to make legislation? Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I, yeah. I think that's a good point. It's also like men are in charge of everything. And if men are the ones who are supposed to be in charge of they are the, the stronger, more rational sex, unless they see an elbow, <laughs> right? <laughs> unless they see a collarbone, then it all goes to shit, and it's it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's kind of ridiculous. Did you guys hear about this um, California school district's dress code that is like be yourself? So there's a school district in Alameda, in California, mm-hmm. this on the left coast, uh, that passed a, uh, a revised dress code policy that's basically like cover your nipples. <laughs> That's awesome. But otherwise, wear whatever you want. Like, I think you have to, to cover your butt and you can't wear, um, you, you can wear pajamas if you want. You can wear ripped jeans as long as you don't have your underwear visible. Oh, yeah, yeah. the pajamas. That's when I was like, ooh, somebody's <laughs> going to go back and get her master's degree from this high school. Yeah, everybody at my high school was wearing pajamas already. I didn't know that that wasn't allowed. There's also a hospital in Indiana, this is the hospital where I was born, what? where you're allowed to have non-traditional hair colors. You can have those like gauges in your ears, and and they have to be ten millimeters. That's funny. <laughs> and now tattoos are gonna be allowed. You can as have well. tattoos out. I've got on uh, TV on like the news with my tattoos out before, and uh, the crew, the people who are also on with me, don't usually comment on it. But there's a couple times where like a CNN crew member has been like, "I just want you to know, I think it's awesome that you wear your tattoos," uh, yeah. uh, which is really sweet. I thought I just—it's so crazy to me that like the idea of personal expression would somehow limit someone's like growth or education. Like to me, that's like part and parcel with the learning process and like coming of age is to be able to express those things. And be encouraged to while learning. Like it's it's like when you go to like when I was in college and went to Amsterdam and I was like, oh, none of the Dutch people care about smoking weed because it's like allowed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's the idea of like placing so much taboo on and control over women's bodies is what creates this like really 
charged sexual objectification. Whereas mm. if it wasn't an issue, I think that it would, I mean, in addition to lots of other things that involve like just dissembling the patriarchy, but like it would be, it would be less, so much less charged if it wasn't creating. Yeah. If they just let us have the candy. Yeah. Right. We'd be like, we're tired of candy. Yeah. There is that thing of like, when you look at magazine covers where it's like, I, I've always noticed this specifically in America, it's like, it's so sexualized, but then you, you see a nipple and it's like the whole internet is up in yeah. arms, <laughs> you right. know, as opposed to like in Britain where it's just like flaccid yeah. bodies that are naked on a toilet at 11 p.m. And you're like, this is just so real. When I see wet abs, I'm like, that's allowed? That's like, <laughs> that feels really naughty. That can't be allowed. Wet, wet abs? Yeah, when they spritz some, mm -hmm. you know, like they're not, I mean... Yeah, you've, sometimes you'll see like oh, even a workout commercial, and I'm like, they're glistening, and like glistening <laughs> bodies is crazier glistening. to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, glisten. You so, want them, yeah. So I think we all agree that women should be able to wear whatever they want. They should be able to wear cat suits in the French Open, but glistening is a bridge that, too far. For, yeah. for me, I get excited, but I can also put my head down and still typey typey. You know, <laughs> I've heard of offices before where women are required to wear heels. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're like, well, we work in sales, and part of the sales process is... Is your body! Yeah. God. It's you. It's you. I'd like to be able to uh, wear a garbage bag everywhere <laughs> I go. That's really my dream, is to be able to be taken seriously, just in a trash bag all the time. I yeah. believe in you, Karen. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to get into an issue that a lot of people have been talking about, Louis C.K., Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And we're back with This Week in Sorry. 
special edition of this week in sorry because there's not really a sorry involved. This is just a kind of nine month post sorry checkup. <laughs> Louis C.K. returned to comedy uh, this week. He uh, he did a set. He showed up unannounced at the Comedy Cellar in New York City last year. If you can recall, nine months ago. He admitted to sexual misconduct with five women in the comedy world. In his apology, he said that he would, quote, step back and take a long time to listen. But many are wondering, is is eight to nine months away from the stage actually enough? On whose terms should his return be decided? Or should his actions effectively ban him from the industry for good? I also wanted to add that in his set, he didn't talk at yes, all. that's what really pisses me off. Yeah, so Megan, you seem it, the most upset. It, Why did you this go first? Is what, well, if you're coming back, you gotta talk about showing your dick to people. Like, I don't... Like, hey, hey, hey. Parades are important. <laughs> well, a pressing it was like, issue of our day, Megan. In this article, it was like um, he talked about tipping waitresses. No, this is some hack BS. You mm-hmm. need to go out and be like, listen, I know you got... I'm not gonna show you my dick. You know, like, you gotta address this giant elephant dick in the room. Yeah. So, it probably wasn't that giant. Yeah, I, I was going to say the opposite. <laughs> mean, mean, mean. Metaphorically giant. Whoa, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zoe, what do you think? Oh, just like unbridled rage. I just like, I have no patience for Louis C.K. I, I, I had heard a lot of those stories before they came out and I was a fan of his. I was a fan of Louis the show. Um, and I wasn't able to watch it once I heard those stories. And I've had the same experience with a lot of these um, men who, you know, they're like artists that you might have respected who then their personal behavior towards women just forever to me impacts the way that I will view their art. And I think like that does play into this conversation, which is like, when are they allowed back? And like, mm. when are they allowed to be artists again? And when do we when do we give ourselves the permission to forget that they're, hor- you know, like that they were horrible to women. Um, and for me, I don't forget. I was thinking about this a lot. Like, what what would it take for him to have said at the comedy cellar? I think, like, first of all, it wouldn't be, like, dropping in unannounced. I yeah. think that's also, like, such a, a testament to his sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Emily Heller tweeted about yeah. that. Uh, she was yeah. like, yeah, they had no consent. They yeah. didn't yeah. consent to him mm-hmm. showing up. And then I, I also, yeah, think, like, not addressing it, but, like, how do you... The only way that I could see, <laughs> I was thinking about like maybe to have like a referendum, to have like m- like more of like a Hannah Gadby, like Nanette moment where it's like you're not bound by the rules of comedy where you have to be making jokes because I'm not ready to hear him make a joke about what he did. Mm-hmm. I think it's more like getting up on a stage and being like, I'm going to use this mic to talk about what like what what historically led me to do this and why it's fucked up and why I'm really confused about how to now like move on with my life, having daughters to do this, this, mm-hmm. this, like there are so many things for him to talk about that would open up a dialogue that would be helpful. Mm-hmm. And instead, like he's just like, thinks that like, and tipping, tipping waitresses, tipping waitresses <laughs> is also like a charged subject <laughs> around like gender. Yeah. There's waiters too. I mean, <laughs> I wonder if that's part of the excuse or the reason that you would hear from the man about why they didn't talk about it. Cause it's like any, like I've heard men, you know, in conversations that aren't this conversation, thankfully, um, being like, Oh, uh, anything I say can be used against me. So it's better not to say anything at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, if I, like, I'm going to be vilified in some way, like Ben Affleck came out, you know, very early on in me too, being like, 
you know, this is shitty. And people were like, remember when you touched her boob? And he's like, okay, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I'm I know, out. but I I'm love out. that the example is like, anything could be held against me when he like physically assaulted a journalist. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that should have been held against him and he still hasn't really been held accountable. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's also different, but it's also like, I, th I think that the guy who did that is not a different guy no. unless he did a serious amount of work. So if he talks from his face, <laughs> like chances are he's going to get himself in some shit. Well, you know? and it's like what happened with Michael Ian Black yesterday who like tweeted mm -hmm. supporting Louie, which... I also just found like so disappointing, but I just feel like Matt Damon also did something similar, yeah. like where he like just kept putting his foot in his mouth. Mm -hmm. And and the idea of like, let me sit back and listen, I think was the right idea, <laughs> but but Louis didn't didn't listen. abide by it. Yeah. And none of and the men who don't, it's like, why did Michael Ian Black feel the need to come out yeah. and support Louis C.K.? And acknowledge the second he wrote that tweet, I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. It's like, so you realize, like, it's, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm like, whatever. And get a lot of shit is a lot different than like, oh, this is going to be hurtful to some yeah. people. Because I think right. we, I, mm. everyone keeps talking about this life sentence. I, I truly don't believe that Louis, I'm never going to consume anything else. And right. that's sort of what I'm allowed. And him dropping in is why one person who was there complained because they were like I didn't get to choose whether I was going to see him or not I love that and that was a man too, I know complained. and the thing is we're allowed to have that choice also it's not been long enough yeah it, it just hasn't I mean mm. to, to kind of go back to to what Michael Ian Black said and I'm going to quote Mike Birbiglia another comic what I should have said was nothing yeah. what I should have said was nothing and here's I'm, I'm going to play like kind of soft devil's advocate here uh, because what I'm you know the crowd clapped a lot for him mm -hmm. when he before he even said anything people at the cellar were really excited that he was there with the exception of the people who were like well this isn't what i signed up for this isn't what i wanted to see for the most part he was received really well i also think that you know i'm disappointed for a different reason than you megan i was disappointed because this was louis's career the reason that i always liked him that i always thought his work was incredible was that he kind of upended comedy with what he did. He challenged it. He pushed it. His show was a brilliant kind of deconstruction of, of the elements of a joke and put in a dramatic setting. It's like this sort of uncomedy. And he's he's incredible. And to get up and tell he had an opportunity to push it again. Yeah. He had an opportunity to be a man talking into a microphone about being aware that he harmed women. And he didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And and that is really upsetting to me. And I was also thinking yesterday about Maybe I was, I think I'm more disappointed in the people who clapped than I am in him for trying to make a living doing the only thing he knows how to do. Like, that's what he's going to do. He's going to try to come back. And he's in an industry and he does a thing that doesn't really require anybody's consent. As long as people want to go see him, he can have a career. Like, there's no comedy police that are like, no, you're on, you're, you know, you're under arrest. You don't get, be. you don't get to do comedy. <laughs> yeah. I would love and, it if there was. What about the women that he harmed? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it's like, you know, a woman came out in an article being like, I've been berated. You know, this hasn't gone away from me, like as a as a victim or a person who experienced what he put on me. Now it's like my life is different and it's not better and it hasn't helped forward my career. Right, but that's a good point because Louis is a known quantity. We don't know. We know what his career is. We know what he's done and we know what his work has meant to people and his fans know that. Right. The women who 
who were who came across Louis and he uh, whipped his dick out in front of him. They're unknown quantities. Like we don't know what their lives, what their contributions could have been had that not happened. Yeah. And so I think that the public, uh, the the reluctance of fan that that fans of Louis display when it comes to uh, accepting maybe him taking a couple more months or years off, like they don't want him to be gone because they know what that is. You know, I, like they. And I also was thinking yesterday about how that's a form of power too. Mm-hmm. You know that you mm-hmm. like like all of the categorical opportunities that went into being able to make it possible for Louis to be Louis in addition to his talent. Mm-hmm. But all of the things you know that's what that's a part of what privilege looks like is that he gets that platform and that a lot of other people get knocked out on the way. He also has twenty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't need to be doing stand up comedy. It's coming now, truly from. I don't even know if it's selfish, but it's like almost narcissistic to be like, I can go back. Like, if I had $20 million, I'm a stand-up comedian, I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. I don't need to fucking talk to these people anymore. But I think part, you know? of, part of, like, the drive for comics is is the rush of laughter and applause and all of that. And, and I think the idea that Louis feels that he is ready to deserve that again mm-hmm. is such a huge part yeah. of the problem. Mm, yeah. And the fact that he... Mm like you said, was given it, like that he supposedly was given By a standing... female booker. The booker at the Comedy Cellar is a woman. Yeah, which is a homeboy. Oh yeah, mm. that's the thing. He doesn't have to be in New York City. He doesn't yeah. have, like, you have all of these avenues available to you to take more time, to chill with your daughters, to buy a fucking boat and sail around the world. Like, <laughs> or to, like, you donate don't your be... money to, yeah. like, domestic violence survivors or whatever he could do. I mean, he's just, like... You don't <sighs> need to be here... You want it, yeah, and because you you want these people, you're right. You want that this clapping and this love and this ovation. It does say ovation in the article, and I think a lot of people thought he got a standing ovation. I read it 17 times. It was just an ovation, a that regular just means ovation, people oh, clapping, just a, a sitting, seat, ovation. A seated, a seated ovation. ovation. Um, but here's here's something that I was thinking about. Um, realistically, though, how useful or effective could anybody's anger at this be like I was thinking about this yesterday a there is no way to make somebody care no matter how much you care about it there is no way to make somebody care B I have been seeing I have I have friends who really like Louie and thought he was kind of done dirty by the article I don't agree with them but that's a sentiment that that fans of Louis CK feel mm-hmm. a lot of them respond to the outcry over his attempted comeback as kind of an affront to them and it causes like a double down like a trumpian style double down and and see you know the actual practical effects of uh of you know a hashtag campaign or or people getting in fights about it on facebook are minimal to his career like if you don't want to see louis do comedy then don't see him do comedy but maybe our energy and i think this conversation is great that we're having but how can we best appropriate our energy toward actually changing the culture uh, when it's clear that Louis is going to do what he's going to do, Aziz is going to do what he's going to do, uh, Matt Lauer is going to do what he's going to do. Uh, how 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 can we best change the culture even knowing that that these men are going to make a comeback? Well, I guess the question is like, and it's what Michael Ian Black like poorly posed, but like, what is the path? What, what, is there a path to redemption? And like, is there a way for this conversation to help shape? And I'm not, not just so that these men are redeemed, because I don't know that there's room for that in some cases, but like, 
is there a way that they could like I, I was thinking about like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa and like is there no, is there real. a way for this for these conversations to get out of the realm of like hashtag hysteria mm-hmm. and move into a realm of like a dialogue that that is actually able to affect change mm-hmm. and is able to change minds like I think that Twitter is a hard way to change minds but but were Louis and Aziz, you know, to be on a panel with Rebecca Corey and whatever, you know, like, is there... Toronto Burke. Yeah, like, Toronto Burke, is there, is there, would there be a way for a dialogue to open this up? Like, there was something at, when the Whitney had that whole, like, uh, the Whitney Museum at the Biennial, they, they were, there was like a piece of art that people wanted to be taken down. This was like two years ago mm-hmm. because it was a white artist depicting the murder of a black man, I think. And instead of taking it down, they had these like referendums where people could, both sides could talk through this issue. And I think this idea of like, well, Louis should never be allowed back on stage is what makes people like Michael Ian Black go crazy because they're like, well, that's like censorship of our art form. Mm -hmm. And that was the same thing at the Whitney. Plus it's an impossible thing to do. There's nobody who can like, there's no comedy mayor, no comedy police. You can't just show up and take him off stage. You You know what I'm saying? Like the court of public opinion has no enforcement arm. I'm sort of in the, in the like group of like, there is a way to do it, but none of you have done it yet. Exactly. You know, like all of you have failed horribly from your apology on. And I do think we're going to have to sort of figure out this like key almost of like, okay, Matt Lauer, you had a secret button, so you're gone for good. Yeah. Um, also, you're aggressively boring. Yeah. Like, when, when it's like, oh, Matt Lauer, we'll never replace him. No, oh. I will like literally walk outside of a school with a bunch of dads dropping off kids, and I could point to one of them and be like, you, you're Matt Lauer now. <laughs> and no, but I, nobody would know the difference. I think he should have been banished for being shitty to Ann Curry. Yeah. I was ready to get rid of him then. But there, we are going to have to sort of figure out like, okay, what Louis did. We uh, people, uh, you know, publicly don't think that's a lifetime ban, but you do need to actually say the word sorry in your apology and you do need to give money to like and you need to actually come to all of this in your brain yourself and not be told that this is your punishment. And for someone as like self-reflective as Louis supposedly is in his work, the content of his work needs to change. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a way. And I think about this with Aziz, too. And Aziz is obviously in a different category than Louis in terms of like the allegations made against him. But like that the content of your work now needs to reflect the way that that you've interacted with the world and the movement and and if it doesn't then i don't think there's room to come back right it's sort of like when there's a big forest fire and they like you know and a tree survives it or whatever and eventually when they cut down the tree there's like a little there's a ring in the tree that you can tell that's where the forest fire (laughs) was and it's there forever you don't get to pretend it didn't happen you know and it's and to pretend it didn't happen is is like a form of denial and and art needs to be honest and to omit it is an extremely dishonest thing Mm -hmm. the reconciliation idea that you talked about or the idea of the referendum is a really interesting one i find that for myself like there's so much shit that makes me angry this makes me incredibly angry like i i feel full of rage about this too and it's probably you know for for a a myriad of reasons that we don't have time for that soliloquy (laughs) but like the it, it makes me incredibly angry and I find that what I need to do is like on a personal level like 
there's 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 kind of like a personal and then there's like a, a public level. So on a personal level, it's like you're kind of living in a dichotomy where you have to you have to do your best or you have to think about, okay, what are all the positive things that I can do in terms of pushing forward my own work, art, opinions, point of view in a landscape or in a narrative? Like what are what are the things that I can do on that front? Right. And then there's like the public discussion of like, how do you actually shift a culture? You know, mm-hmm. and and so my my questions would be, are there like like you did a film with an entirely female crew? Was that film hard to fund? Was it hard to find a platform for that film? Is it hard to get all female content made? Do you know what I mean? Like the, the flip side of this argument is if that exists, are the alternate voices getting enough of a platform mm-hmm. to exist as well and exist in a space that is that is. um kind of large enough to Mm -hmm. to be to be a real platform yeah if Reese Witherspoon isn't championing it and I also want to add that you know this was Louis's first time back on stage I retain a little little glimmer of hope that this was just him dipping his toe in and then when he finally gets on stage he will have the decency and the the skill and I know he does have the skill I hope he has the decency Mm -hmm. to make really good art about the fact that he's a guy who fucked up and, and I'm hoping that, that the next step is less disappointing than the step that we saw this time. Okay, I'll have what she's having. This is where your hysteria friends recommend things that women have made that inspire them or women who are cool. Um, not necessarily timely recommendations. It's just stuff that's been on our minds. Mine is a sitcom from the UK called Pulling, which okay. is which came out about... Eight years ago, I think pulling is, uh, I think it's slang for like, like hooking up. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Oh, like pulling tail? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a sex in the city, but extremely dark. And if the show <laughs> were like less materialistic and acknowledged what assholes all the characters are, and it's got Sharon Horgan in it, who is like one of the most talented and brilliant women currently working. She's on Catastrophe now. She's just incredible. So pulling, and I think you can get it on Amazon video. It's, it's really good. Zoe, do you have a rec? I've been reading a book called The Power by Naomi Alderman, I think is her last name. It's a it's an amazing read, especially at this current moment. It's like it, it follows. It's sort of a sci fi um, landscape where women and girls all over the world have like an electric shock that comes out of their hands mm, and they I have these like this. skeins in their in their collarbones, which is like where like the motor is. And so she just creates this like incredible world in which women now suddenly have the power to defend themselves in a way they never have had before. And so the the shift in power dynamics all over the world is just like a fascinating exploration. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Megan, how about you? Mine is uh, Tyler Feder. The last name is F-E-D-E-R. She is a feminist cartoonist and illustrator. She has made, I mean, she just does incredible stuff. I've had her as like a go-to wedding gift present too. I've had like custom cartoons made of the couple like flying over Chicago and stuff. Oh. But she um, she does a lot. I mean, the drawings are like, you know, girls with hair on their legs. And like, she's just, her Instagram is so, so, so amazing too. She just illustrated a book called Unladylike that's coming out in October. And then her website is roaringsoftly.com. But she's just fun, and she's, like, a really funny, cool person, and I, I love all of her work. I love female illustrators. Yes. That's awesome. How about you, Karen? Mm-hmm. I had um, Monstrous, 
I don't know if you guys are familiar, it's a graphic novel by a woman named Marjorie Liu, and, and I hope I'm saying that right, Marjorie Liu. And uh, the artist is Sana Takeda. Mm-hmm. If I butchered your names, I'm so sorry. I hope you listen <laughs> to like, Hysteria. They're like, how dare you give us this publicity? <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? Um, but it's stunning. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a stunning, first of all, just visually, the art is so beautiful. And then it's just this kind of really stunning reappropriation of a genre that I haven't seen a ton of women in mm-hmm. um, that makes it really, sometimes, sometimes I'll look at a piece of artwork and I'll be like, oh, I didn't even realize there was a place for me in that. And I'll see something and I'm like, oh, wow, this is like it's like a it's like a portal into something that's like really cool. And it kind of helps me to see why other people find it cool because you can see a little bit of yourself in it. Which yeah, is cool. that's great. All right. Awesome. Good recommendations. We'll put these in the show notes before we go. Uh, we're going to talk about the hills we'll die on this week. These are opinions that are not um, <laughs> that are that are really strong opinions about things that are totally not important. So, OK, hill I'll die on. This is my hill I'll die on this week. Um, opossums are the worst mammal. <laughs> Every other mammal has cute babies, not opossums. Oh. Opossums are the worst mammal. They should be kicked out of being mammals because they're so bad. I hate them. I hate all of them. That is the hill, hill I'll die on this week. Zoe, what's your hill? I hate games. Games of all kinds. Mm, and, that is uh, a hill. I know. It's a steep hill. Uh, I'm I w- with you. I went to a, a non-competitive summer camp. So, like, even when we were, like, playing, um, like, sports, which I also hate, um, we'd have to switch teams, like, every inning or whatever. So you couldn't get attached to winning. I'm very competitive in other aspects of my life. But a game, to me, the stakes are like, but what do I actually get? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? The idea of winning a game is like, why are we working so hard for like, for this? And I know I've, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I feel the same I'll way. I'll never this be invited matter. to another game night again. Fuck but, game but nights. Fuck game nights. Fuck game nights. Wow. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. Kieran, what's yours? I think I'm just like dovetailing on yeah. Zoe's. Fuck I was game like, nights. I like, for, I like forgot how strongly <laughs> I feel about this. pretty cause... competitive about being non-competitive. <laughs> I hate games more than you hate yeah. games. No, no. I think we let's, might hate them equally. Let's have a contest to see <laughs> who hates games more. Arm wrestle. I will like it's like I have friends who are very competitive and they know to not invite me to their game mm-hmm. nights because I hate them so much. Um, but I'll cheat. Wow. I'll just start cheating because wow. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't matter. I'll ruin the game. Like sure. I'll actually ruin your good time. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's the way I entertain myself. Because I'm like, if I have to be here with you doing this shitty thing, Monopoly, well, I'm going to put my shoe in jail. Now my shoe's <laughs> on this board. What? It's crazy. Breaking the rules. Who cares? Uh, oh, right. wow. You are basically the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. Oh, God. Joker in a garbage bag. <laughs> Megan, how about you? Um, now that movie theaters have reclining seats, I refuse to go to a movie theater that does not have reclining seats. Oh, yes. Yes. Now you can't give and then take away. So it's like you all need to get on this. I don't care about preserving the art of how our grandparents watch the moving picture. I want to lay down and I want to unbutton my pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's not let's let's be selective about what we preserve because a lot of old a lot of people back in that time like got polio. Yeah. And we're not like we need to still get polio. No, I completely agree. I want to lay reclining seats, man. And I'll take a nap. In I've, the movie? Sometimes I go to a movie don't just you have a, to nap. Don't you have a house? <laughs> I like to spend $17 on a nap. $17 nap, eh? That sounds great. Kieran and Megan, thank you for joining me. Zoe Lister-Jones, we are so lucky yeah, and glad that you came by.
And that was Hysteria this week. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes and tell all your friends. And there will be more Hysteria next week. Step with the bass drum. I'm in the coconut, make me come straight from the bottle. I slurp this rum. I'ma get, get me some. is never just a car. Kelly Blue Book knows it's so much more than that. It's your commuting chariot, your road trip refuge, your I just need a reason to get out of the house. Your car is there for everything. And for everything car, there's Kelly Blue Book. Need a new set of wheels? Price it on Kelly Blue Book. Problem under the hood? Fix it with Kelly Blue Book. Can another car do the job better? Trade it or sell it on Kelly Blue Book. We're here mile after mile, moment after moment. Price it, fix it, trade it, sell it. KBB.com. Visit kellybluebook.com to get the journey started. Your home is your place of peace. It's clean. It's welcoming. <sighs> and it's definitely not crawling with invading insects if you use Ortho Home Defense Max. Use it indoors on non-porous surfaces to treat and prevent cockroaches, spiders, and ants for up to 12 months. So your home can stay your place of peace, your work-from-home office, and your family's headquarters. Kill bugs inside, keep bugs outside, and love your home. Visit ortho.com for more.